This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. I miss Paul Harvey. I miss hearing the voice at 8.30 every morning. And I listened to Paul Harvey for years, and listening to him was a part of my life. And so when he passed from this life, there was a sense of grief and a sense of loss because the voice had been silenced and uh, never the same since because of that voice that you remember. I heard him quote this, so I know that it's true that he quoted it. Whether he wrote it or not, I don't know. It's been attributed to Paul Harvey. But I looked it up on one of those websites, and they said, we think he probably didn't write it. He just quoted it. It doesn't matter. It's a great piece of writing that you've heard before. Perhaps you heard Paul Harvey quoted. It's called, If I Were the Devil. If I were the devil, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have one-third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, and I wouldn't be happy until I seized the ripest apple on the tree, you. I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the country. I'd subvert the churches first. I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as Eve, do as you please. To young people, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. To the old, I would teach them to pray after me, Our Father, which art in Washington, hallowed be thy name. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull or not interesting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each were consumed with the promises of higher ratings. I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild, and before you knew it, you'd have to put drug-sniffing dogs, and metal detectors in every schoolhouse. Within a decade, I would have the prisons overflowing. I would have judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, then from the houses of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a liquor bottle. If I were the devil, I would take from those who have and give it to those who want it until I killed the incentive to be ambitious. And what do you bet I could even get whole states, state governments, to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work, patriotism, and immoral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned and that swinging is more fun. That's what you see on TV as the way to be. I would undress you in public. I would lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep on doing right what he's doing now. If I were the devil, I would just keep on doing what he's doing right now. 
Do you know what's amazing to me about that piece of writing? That I found that it's probably as old as 1979. And believe it or not, I found another source that said it may be as old as 1964. Either way, it's written a long time ago. We continue this as the introduction to a message from Jeremiah 14 about the sins of a people testifying against us. Continues tomorrow on Crosshope. That's crosshope.org. Years ago, I read about a 13-year-old girl who made some choices that unfortunately led to the death of someone else. It literally meant someone died. And so there was a court trial, and the judge shocked everybody by saying, even though this young lady is only 13 years old, she has to realize that there are consequences to what she did. And she's going to have to face some consequences. A life is lost because of what she did. And the parents filed suit against the court or against the state saying, you know, she shouldn't be held responsible for what she did. And the judge said, no, at 13 years of age, you know, you, you, there is some responsibility to be borne by the person who committed this act because, you see, conduct has consequences. Our daughter Elizabeth went to a small school in Michigan, and they're proud of their motto that they have as a banner on some of their publications. And here's the motto. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Folks, everything you do has consequences. Everything I do has consequences. Every word we speak has consequences. And it's one of the notions today that people in the United States of America say, I don't want to hear that. I'm not responsible for anything. I don't want to be held attached to the consequences of things I've set in motion. And yet we're going to read today in the book of Jeremiah where the Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, says this. Our sins testify against us. I want to share something with you right at the beginning. This is the strongest passage that we've read so far in this book of Jeremiah. Somebody at the very beginning said, when are you going to get to the heavy-duty stuff? Today. Today. They were familiar with the book of Jeremiah, and they knew that some of the strongest language in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, is in this book of the Bible where God pronounces judgment on his people so strongly, he tells the prophet, don't even pray for them anymore. Can you imagine the Lord telling somebody about you and said, don't even pray for him anymore? And I want to deal with that right at the beginning because that's such a frightening thought. Was God being mean? No. Was he being cantankerous like we would use that expression? Was he just being hard to get along with? Did he have a bad day and that's why God said it? No. God's people, get this, had wandered away from him spiritually. They had committed spiritual adultery one too many times, and the Lord says, I'm done. I'm done with them. I want to ask you this. Do you think the United States of America will ever reach a point where he says, I'm done? I'm scared. I am literally frightened to think that point. But I'm beginning to wonder if God did that with his own people called the Israelites, who he brought out of Egypt, delivered in the wilderness, protected them with one miracle after another, and then tells Jeremiah, don't even pray for them because they've wandered a little too much away from me. What does that say prophetically about God's relationship with the United States of America? That's pretty strong. 
but I think it's worth thinking about. I'd like to do a little verse by verse. Let's bring up verse 7. Although our sins testify against us, O Lord, do something for the sake of your name, for our backsliding is great. I want to talk about those phrases. Our sins testifying against us. The word testify means to bear witness. Everything we do bears witness about who we are and what we are. What would happen in your life differently if you really believe that? It's true that everything we do and everything we say bears witness about us. Crosshope.org. Crosshope.org. Our sins testifying against us. The word testify means to bear witness. Everything we do bears witness about who we are and what we are. May shock you to say this, but the way you treat strangers bears witness about what kind of man you are, what kind of woman you are. The way you treat your spouse testifies, it bears witness what kind of person you are. The way you relate to your children, the way you relate to your parents testifies against you. It makes a statement. And I think it's one of the most sobering things that we can realize in Scripture, that what we do has consequences. There is cause and there is effect. Our sins testify against us. Lord, do something for the sake of your name. I've prayed that prayer. Have you ever prayed to the Lord? And I think it's a legitimate prayer. Lord, would you do this because it's you? Lord, I come to you on behalf of a son or daughter, on behalf of a husband or wife, and Lord, maybe I don't deserve a positive answer. Maybe they don't deserve a positive answer. But Lord, would you do it because you're you? Would you do it for the sake of your name? I love that prayer. I think it's a legitimate prayer. Lord, do something for the sake of your name. And then he uses this phrase that some of you grew up with. It's never used today. I mean, never. For our backsliding is great. That's always associated as an old-fashioned term from old-fashioned churches and old-fashioned preachers talking about people backsliding. You know, we've misunderstood what backsliding means. It doesn't mean sliding down a hill in mud. You know, that's backsliding. Do you know what it means? In fact, most people don't even know this. Backsliding means to turn your back on the Lord. Think for a moment with me. Have you ever been at a party? You ever gone to some kind of gathering? where you were approaching somebody, and as you got closer, you could see them turn. They didn't want to talk to you. It's happened to everybody. You've had that happen. A family member may turn their back on you at a family reunion. I'm not talking to him. It can happen in any social situation. And here's what backsliding was spiritually. God's people, the people that were delivered by the hand of God, turned their back on the God who saved them. That's what it means to backslide. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever turned your back on the Lord? You may turn your back on a relative, and you'll survive that, and they'll survive that. You may turn your back on an old friend. You don't want to talk to him or her anymore. You may turn your back on a neighbor. You may turn your back on an acquaintance, but don't ever come to the place in your life where you turn your back on the living God. There are consequences cause and effect, or consequences to what we do. Ideas have consequences, actions have consequences, and turning our back on the Lord has consequences. Jump to verse 9, if we could. Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior 
powerless to save. You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. I love that phrase, we bear your name, and that is so true as a Christian. To call yourself a Christian is not to identify yourself as a member of some cult or some sect. To call yourself a Christian isn't to identify yourself politically as a political statement. To call yourself a Christian means I bear the name. I bear the name of Jesus Christ, and that has tremendous import and tremendous responsibility. Well, have you ever thought about what it means to bear the name of Christ in your life if you consider yourself a Christian? It's a sobering thought. We bear the name that is above every name. His name is Jesus. Crosshope.org. Crosshope.org. To call yourself a Christian means I bear the name. I bear the name of Jesus Christ, and that has tremendous import and tremendous responsibility when you and I know we bear the name. That's a, that's a heavy-duty deal. There's nothing small change about bearing the name. In the same way that you may remember growing up and you had a parent who said, live up to the family name, or don't do anything to besmirch the family name. Don't do anything that would be a disgrace, because why? You bear the family name. And so it is, we bear the name of Christ. Uh, verse 10 is intriguing to me, and I told you to underline it. I want to bring that up. This is what the Lord says about his people. What would the Lord say about the United States of America? Have you ever wondered that? I've wondered that, especially this week studying that verse. We talked about it in the office. What would the Lord God Almighty say about the United States of America, they greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. We don't use language like that, but it was figurative expression to describe God's people going after this God and this God and following this belief system and just wandering spiritually away from the Lord. Folks, that happens all the time in the United States of America. Have you ever known anybody that you can tell the last article they read because they tell you what they read and say, I believe that now. And then a month later, they say, oh, I just read something, and I really like that. And, I, and Or I read this article, I read this book. Be careful when you find yourself just wandering spiritually from hither and yon just because of something new that comes down the pike. As a believer, we're not to wander from the truth. We're to live it. Not only believe it, but to live the truth. And the Lord never called you, he never called me to wander spiritually to have feet that are not restrained. That's a figurative expression, meaning they're just looking after other gods. And here's why this language is so strong. And this is, you've got to go home with this. God was offended by their idolatry, as he should be. God was offended by the idolatry and the unfaithfulness of his people. What's the point for you and me? And he's still offended by idolatry. I said something that I think upset some people, not in a bad way, but just I got some feedback from it. Recently, I mentioned in a message from Jeremiah that we don't worship idols, stone gods. We just live in them. We don't worship idols. We drive them. We don't worship idols of stone. We just pull boats behind us, the idol we worship. We pull them behind our cars on a trailer. And, and I was exaggerating to make a point. I was. I was using hyperbole. 
But you know what? There's an element of truth to that. Our idols are not a stone god that we bow down and worship like you remember from the movie The Ten Commandments in Egypt. We bow down the knee of our heart to that which we own. What God is asking us today through the book of Jeremiah, wash your hands, which is a figurative expression, confess your sin. Own what you've done. Repent before the Lord, which is a big word that all it means is to turn 180 degrees. Repent doesn't mean perform some religious liturgy. Repent means to turn. Turn away from sin and turn to Christ. Turn away from sin, that which would keep us in bondage, and turn to the Lord. Well, I'd like for you to make every effort to hear the conclusion of this message tomorrow as we continue to talk about Jeremiah 14, about our sins testify or bear witness against us. You may not like to hear it. I may not like to hear it, but it's the truth. It concludes tomorrow on CrossOpe. That's CrossOpe.org. Now then, today, the conclusion of the message we began on Monday from Jeremiah 14, some of the strongest language you've ever read or heard read from the Bible. You say, "What? give me an example. Jeremiah is told by the Lord himself, do not pray for the well-being of these people, talking about his own people, the southern kingdom. Although they fast, I won't listen to their cry. Although they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And here's what the Lord says, which is a frightening word. I will destroy them with the sword, with famine, and plague. Wow, what a message for 2020. I will destroy them with sword, famine, and plague. Why? Because of their disobedience and their following after other gods. God bless you as you listen to the conclusion. Early in a February morning, a man from Louisville, Kentucky, by the name of James Rich, climbed into his private airplane at an airport near Louisville. The plan was to make a 30-minute flight to Crossville, Tennessee. Some of you know where that's at, where a friend of his was the airport manager. He planned to arrive just about the time his friend was showing up for work, and he wanted to show off his new plane, his Piper plane. The 40-year-old pilot had not slept the night before. He had been out late with some of his friends, so he was real tired when he got into the plane. When he cleared the runway, pointed his plane south for a quick trip, he climbed to 3,500 feet, put the plane on automatic pilot, and you know what happened. He fell asleep. He woke up three hours later. He looked down, and he saw water. He thought he was over a big lake. He was over the Gulf of Mexico from Louisville, Kentucky. He found out that he only had just a little bit of gasoline, but not enough to land. And he, he did a crash landing in the water of the Gulf of Mexico. He was 188 miles west of Clearwater, 190 miles south of Panama City, Florida. 85 miles short of land, the last drop of fuel was gone. He hit the Gulf, sank in about 45 seconds, which pulled this pilot down with its undertow. But he grabbed a cushion was pulled to the surface, and eventually a Coast Guard helicopter rescued him, dropped a rescue basket. Now, there's a humorous side to the story that he can laugh about now, but he wasn't laughing then when he crashed into the, the Gulf of Mexico. And the point I want to make is this. So many people have fallen asleep spiritually. So many people have their sins testifying against them, but they're asleep emotionally, asleep spiritually, and they're not aware 
get this, of what's going on in their own life. Isn't it amazing how people tell you what other people are doing and they're not even aware of what's going on in their own life and the problems and the sin in our own lives? And Jeremiah says this, our sins testify against us. They make a statement. Ideas have consequences. There is cause and effect. Everything we do sets something in motion. Every word we say sets something in motion. Every thought we think sets something in motion. Decide today. Decide today that you are going to not only follow the Lord, you're going to be faithful to the Lord. You're not going to be wandering spiritually and Oh, I think I'll believe this teaching or that teaching. You're going to stay with the Word of God and commit your life to the one who died for you. His name is Jesus. You say, well, that might be one way of looking at life. No, it's the only way, I believe, for this reason. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, there's nothing more important than knowing him, loving him, and following him. Nothing more important than knowing the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. Our website is crosshope.org. That's one word, crosshope.org. God bless you, and thanks for listening to Crosshope. You've been listening to Crosshope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Crosshope is listener-supported and is produced by Crosshope Ministries, Incorporated.